Chapter 5 More Precious Than Gold Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Psalm 26.2 I used to be a school teacher, and now I'm a pastor. Both professions involve instructing others. I do not want to sound overly simple, but good teachers provide information people do not already have. If they already knew it, they would not need the instruction. Most letters in the New Testament are instructive. There is the occasional time an epistle will say, I want to remind you, but primarily they were written to provide new information. This is why James 1.3 is so unique. In the ESV and NIV, it says, You know that the testing of your faith produces patience. James was not teaching something new. He was telling readers what they already understood about trials. They test our faith. There are weaknesses with the English language. One weakness relates to the word know. For example, I use the same English word when I say I know my dad as when I say I know of Abraham Lincoln. Obviously, I know my dad much differently than I know President Lincoln. We add the word of to differentiate between the types of knowing, knowing someone versus knowing of someone. The Greek word for knowing of is epistemi. It means to put one's attention on, fix one's thoughts on, be acquainted with. This is knowledge, but with no personal interaction or relationship. The Greek word for knowing personally is gnosko, and it means to learn to know, get a knowledge of, feel. This is intimate knowledge. Gnosko is used in Matthew 125 to say Joseph did not know Gnosko, Mary, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Gnosko is also the word James uses in verse 3 for knowing. He tells his readers they know what trials do because they have experienced them before. If you have been through a trial, you also know they test your faith. Proving Our Faith Augustine said, Trials come to prove us and improve us. This quote identifies the two purposes trials accomplish. We discussed trials improving, maturing us. Now we will discuss trials proving our faith. Let's begin with two other important Greek words. Pyrasmos is the word for trials, and it means proving, adversity, affliction, trouble sent by God and serving to test or prove one's character, faith, holiness. Dakimion is the word for testing, and it means the proving, that by which something is tried or proved, a test. The definitions are similar because trials are tests and tests are trials. Consider the use of both words in James 1, 2, and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, pyrasmas, knowing that the testing, dakimion, of your faith produces patience. Since the words are similar, the verses could say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the trying of your faith. Count it all joy when you fall into various tests, knowing the testing of your faith. Dokimion occurs only one other time, in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, which also contains an instance of perasmos. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, perasmos, 
that the genuineness, dokimion, of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The similarities between James and Peter are strong. James says, count it all joy, and Peter says, greatly rejoice. James says, trials test your faith, and Peter says, trials prove the genuineness of your faith. Peter does not say the genuineness of our faith is precious like gold. He says it is much more precious. Why does our faith have this value? We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. Without faith, we have no salvation. Gold is considered a precious metal, along with silver, platinum, and palladium. What do people do with these materials? They test them to prove their genuineness. Imagine someone thinks he is holding gold, but it is only pyrite or fool's gold. Imagine a woman thinks her husband bought her an expensive diamond ring, but it is cubic zirconia. John MacArthur said dokimion means to put someone or something to the test with the purpose of discovering the person's nature or the thing's quality. Dokimion was used for coins to determine their value or worthlessness. If our faith is even more precious than gold, then what will God do with it? As Peter said, he will test it by fire, so that the genuineness, dokimion, of it may be found. In Isaiah 48.10, God said, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Our faith cannot be subjected to the same tests as cold metals. Faith cannot have acid poured on it, receive the scratch test, or be heated to a certain temperature. However, it can be subjected to trials that reveal its value or worthlessness. Tom Wells said, You know why men test gold, why they put it in the fire. They know that if it is gold, fire will not hurt it. Men do not seek to destroy gold with fire. They do not seek to harm it in any way. Instead, they try to prove beyond all doubt that it is gold. And that is what God is doing when He applies trials. He seeks to show that they are true Christians. Thomas Kempis said, Adversities do not make man frail. They show what sort of man he is. When trials test us, our faith is at stake. When we pass the tests, we prove the genuineness of our faith. The question is, to whom? Trials prove the genuineness of our faith to us. As already discussed, we should expect trials. This is the case for believers and unbelievers alike. Even the ungodliest people survive some of these trials, and even the godliest people do not always survive trials. For example, Cancer is a trial some unbelievers have survived, while some believers have not. This shows surviving or not surviving trials does not distinguish Christians from non-Christians. The question is not, did they survive trials? The question is, did their faith survive trials? When our faith survives trials, we can be confident in the genuineness of it. Warren Wearsby said, in the school of faith, we must have occasional tests, or we will never know where we are spiritually. We do not want to wonder where we are going to spend eternity. We want assurance that we have saving faith. James 2.18 says, I will show you my faith by my works. 
while our works do not save us, they are one of the clearest indicators that our faith is genuine. Another indicator is when our faith has survived trials. Trials are painful, but one reason we can count it all joy when experiencing them is they give us confidence in our faith. George Muller said, The only way to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. I have learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testing. He learned to trust his faith because of what it withstood. R.C.H. Lenski said, If we have true faith, we ought to be glad to have it tested and proved to be genuine. If I have genuine gold coins, I shall welcome any test to which they may be subjected. Trials reveal the condition of our faith. If we are confident in it, we can welcome trials. When our faith passes the test, we can be blessed knowing it is genuine. Trials prove the genuineness of our faith to others. In the parable of the soils, the seed represents the Word of God, and the soil represents our hearts. Matthew 13, 5 and 6 Some of the seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Stony places refer to shallow soil on top of a bedrock layer, where there is not much depth of earth. As a result, when this soil, or heart, receives the seed, or word of God, it will not establish deep roots. Think of people who receive God's word enthusiastically. They're excited about their new faith and immediately spring up, but they do not last. Their faith does not have deep roots. It looks good at first, but trials reveal it was not genuine. Matthew 13, 20 and 21. He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who receives the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Sadly, we have all seen people like Jesus described, joyful until they experience trials. How many times have you been at church and heard, Hey, what happened to so-and-so? Then someone replies, Oh, they went through this trial and they have not been back. Without roots, the insincerity of their faith is exposed, and they revert to their lives before the seed fell on their hearts. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. People can look like Christians, but they might not be saved. The church at Sardis was filled with people who appeared to be Christians, but Jesus told them, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Revelation 3.1 Sardis looked so good, it developed a reputation, a name. Observers thought this was a thriving church because of how much it had going on physically. You are alive. Jesus looked at them and knew they were a church of unbelievers, spiritually dead people. Trials often reveal that people, such as those in Sardis, are unbelievers. Tying together Jesus' words in Matthew 13, 6 and 21 reveals that tribulation or persecution caused their faith to wither away. 
Sometimes people supposedly get saved, and those looking on say, they are so on fire for God. That might be true, but until their faith survives trials, it is difficult to be confident. Trudging Through the Swamp of Despair John Bunyan's famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, is an allegory, which means the people, objects, and locations are reflections of their names. The main character, Christian, is reading a book, the Bible, when Evangelist directs him to leave the city of destruction, the world, to go to the celestial city, heaven. Soon after Christian begins his journey, Pliable, someone easily swayed without commitment, joins him. At first, Christian and Pliable look equally committed, but that quickly changed when they experienced a trial. We will pick up when Pliable asked Christian about the blessings he could enjoy when they reached their destination. Pliable. Come, neighbor Christian, since there are none but us two here, tell me now further what the things are, and how to be enjoyed, whither we are going. Christian. I can better conceive of them with my mind than speak of them with my tongue. Yet, since you are desirous to know, I will read of them in my book. Pliable. And you think that the words of your book are certainly true? Christian. Yes, verily, for it was made by him that cannot lie. Pliable. Well said, what things are they? Christian. There is an endless kingdom to be inhabited, an everlasting life to be given us, that we may inhabit that kingdom forever. Pliable. Well said. And what else? Christian. There are crowns of glory to be given us, and garments that will make us shine like the sun in the firmament of heaven. Pliable. This is very pleasant. And what else? Christian. There shall be no more crying nor sorrow, for he that is owner of the place will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Pliable. And what company shall we have there? Christian. There we shall be with seraphims and cherubims, creatures that will dazzle your eyes to look on them. There you shall also meet with thousands and ten thousands that have gone before us to that place. None of them are hurtful, but loving and holy, every one walking in the sight of God, and standing in His presence with acceptance forever. In a word, there we shall see the elders with their golden crowns. There we shall see the holy virgins with their golden harps. There we shall see men that by the world were cut in pieces, burnt in flames, eaten of beasts, drowned in the seas, for the love that they bear to the Lord of the place, all well and clothed with immortality, as with a garment. Pliable. The hearing of this is good enough to ravish one's heart. My good companion, glad I am to hear of these things. Come on, let us mend our pace. Everything sounded great to Pliable, just like the blessings of heaven, eternal life, crowns, and glorified bodies sound great to everyone at first. Pliable was so excited, he even told Christian to walk faster. But then, just as they had ended this talk, they drew nigh to a very miry slough that was in the midst of the plain, and they, being heedless, did both fall suddenly into the bog. The name of the slough was Despond. Here, therefore, they wallowed for a time, being grievously bedaubed with dirt, and began to sink in the mire. They reached their first trial, the slough, swamp, of despond, despair. 
The words, they being heedless, mean they did not see this coming, which is similar to James 1-2 saying we fall into trials. We unexpectedly experience trials like Christian and Pliable unexpectedly fell into this swamp. Pliable. Ah, neighbor Christian, where are you now? Christian. Truly, I do not know. Christian's response captures the way we often feel during trials. Things are confusing right now. I do not understand what is happening. We might lack understanding, but understanding is not of greatest importance. Of greatest importance is enduring, continuing to push through the mud. Christian did. Pliable did not. At that, Pliable began to be offended and angrily said to his fellow, Is this the happiness you have told me all this while of? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and our journey's end? May I get out again with my life? You shall possess the brave country alone for me. And with this he gave a desperate struggle or two and got out of the mire on that side of the slough which was next to his own house. So away he went, and Christian saw him no more. In chapter 1, we discussed the frustration people experience when they wrongly believed the Christian life would be free of difficulties. Pliable is a perfect example. He begins to be offended and angrily criticizes Christian. His expectation of further trials was correct, and so he abandoned Christian as quickly as he had joined him. Pliable is like the people who show up at church one day. They look like they are along for the journey. But when troubles arise, they leave as suddenly as they came. He looked enthusiastic earlier, but the trial revealed his faith was nothing more than a desire for blessings, with no commitment to Christ. When Christian later met Goodwill, Jesus, Goodwill said, How sad it is concerning Pliable that he had so little appreciation of the heavenly glory to come so much so that he did not consider it worth encountering a few hazards and difficulties to obtain it. This assessment of pliable is true of everyone who turns back from following Christ when trials arise. These people are the opposite of the Apostle Paul, who said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8.18 Keeping eternal blessings in mind is one of the best ways to stay encouraged during trials. With so little desire for spiritual realities, Pliable quickly found himself discouraged by the physical and ready to depart. Later, Christian spoke about Pliable with his companion, Faithful. Christian, when I first set out on my pilgrimage, I did have some hope for that man, but now I fear he will perish in the imminent destruction of the city. Faithful. They are my fears for him as well. Pliable departed to avoid his present suffering, but just as Goodwill rightly assessed that Pliable did not think of the glory of heaven, he also did not think of the punishment of hell. When people leave the faith because of suffering, little do they realize the trial they are presently enduring is mild compared to the eternal torment they will suffer for abandoning Christ. One of the great blessings associated with persevering through trials and proving faith to be genuine is the confidence that hell will not have to be endured. Instead, there is the encouragement that comes from the words of Revelation 21.4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. 
there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Trials prove the genuineness of our faith to God. God reveals Himself through the pages of Scripture. He shows His character and the decisions He makes. We see how He deals with people, and one of the most common ways is through testing them. Here are a few examples. Exodus 20, 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. Job 23.10 He knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Psalm 66.10 You, O God, have tested us. Why does God test his people? So he can know them. This is made clear in the Old Testament by understanding two Hebrew words. Nasah is the Hebrew word for tested or proved, and it means to test, try, prove, tempt, assay. Yada is the Hebrew word for know, and it means to know. But unlike Gnosko, it is describing intimate knowledge. Adam knew Yada, his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. Genesis 4.1 David used both words when asking God to test him and know his heart. Psalm 26.2 Examine me, O Lord, and prove, Nasa, me. Try my mind and my heart. Psalm 139.23 and 24 Search me, O God, and know, Yada, my heart. Try me, see if there is any wicked way in me. When God tests people, it does not imply He did not already know them. Nasa is also translated as prove, because when God tests us with trials, He is proving what is in our hearts. John Fawcett said, Losses and disappointments are the trials of our faith, our patience, and our obedience. When we are in the midst of prosperity, it is difficult to know whether we have a love for God or only His blessings. It is in the midst of trials that our faith is put to the test. Consider these accounts that reveal God's testing through trials. Israel Moses could not go with Israel into the Promised Land. Deuteronomy contains his final words to the people he loved and led for 40 years. In chapter 8, he discussed the difficult time of testing in the wilderness and why God put Israel through it. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these forty years in the wilderness to humble you and test Nasa you, to know, Yada, what was in your heart. Deuteronomy 8.2 God tested Israel in the wilderness to know them. Fast forward to Israel entering the Promised Land. What did God do with the enemies in Canaan? He left them. Why? Again, God wanted to test Israel to know them. The Canaanites were left that God might test, Nassau, Israel, by them to know, Yada, whether they would obey His commandments. Judges 3.4 God tested the Israelites to know or prove whether they would obey Him. Hezekiah Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament, but he failed when Babylon sent messengers to visit him. This evil nation was the superpower of the day, and Hezekiah pridefully wanted to impress them. Therefore, he showed them his nation's wealth. 2 Chronicles 32-31 gives us spiritual insight into what took place. Regarding the ambassadors from Babylon, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test Nassau him. 
that he might know, Yadah, all that was in his heart. God tested Hezekiah to know or prove what was in his heart. Abraham People struggle with God's command for Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. How could God want a father to sacrifice his own son? God did not want Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. We know that because he stopped it from happening. In Genesis 22:11 and 12, the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. The repetition of Abraham's name shows the urgency with which God prevented it. And not only was Abraham not to sacrifice Isaac, he was not to do anything to him. If God did not want Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, why did he ask him to do it? The answer is revealed at the beginning of the account. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Nassau, Abraham. Genesis 22, 1. This was always only a test. It was never about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. It was only about whether Abraham would sacrifice Isaac. This is probably the most fitting picture of a test in all of Scripture. Scholars take notice of the first time God uses a word. It is called the principle of first mention, and the idea is when a word occurs for the first time, it reveals the truest meaning. Genesis 22.1 is the first time God uses the word Nassah. There were more painful tests, such as what Job experienced, but as far as having faith tested, it is hard to imagine anything tougher than Abraham's experience. He is the father of faith, Romans 4.11-18, and fittingly, he faced the premier test of faith. After he passed, God said, Now I know, Yadah that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Genesis 22:12. God knew the courageous man who dared to pick up the knife would not have hesitated to perform the sacrifice. The account might look foreign to us because God would never command us to sacrifice a child. There is a relationship, though. God tested Nassau, Abraham, to know Yadah, him. And God tests us to know us. When Abraham's faith withstood the test, the angel said it revealed his fear of God. When our faith withstands tests, it reveals our fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 Questions Number 1. Why is it important for God to test our faith? Number 2. How can it help your perspective of trials to view them as tests versus viewing them as unfortunate circumstances? Number three, did you previously consider your faith as being more precious than gold? How has your view of your faith changed since reading this chapter? Number four, describe hypothetical people who represent the seed that fell on stony places. What made them look like Christians before the trial? What changes took place during or after the trial that made them look unsaved? Number five, when you have experienced a trial and felt tempted to turn back, as Pliable did, what truths can you draw from God's Word to encourage yourself? Number six, can you think of other spiritual examples of people who experienced trials and proved the genuineness of their faith? What about individuals who proved their faith was not genuine?